Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition where we break down the stronghold, bad opinions of the enemy, and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and during this hour, we're going to be looking once again at the reality of Christian dogma, the belief that when God speaks, he does so that we would speak in order that we would speak back to him. Like St. Paul tells us in his letters, he says, hunger for the truth. Watch your doctrine closely and your life too, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but to suit their own desires. will gather together teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. But you, Christian, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught in Holy Scripture. In order to do this, we are studying Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, a landmark series of volumes that try to confess as much as we know, as much as we can know from Holy Scripture. Helping me out today couple of brothers-in-arms, Pastor Timothy Winterstein of Faith Lutheran Church in East Wenatchee, Washington, and Pastor Andrew Preuss. He is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show live. Thanks for having having us. Absolutely. Good to hear your voices as well, guys. We're picking up on page 38 of Volume 1 of Dr. Pieper, where he has continued... Ever since we started this, right? I mean, I guess we could move faster. We could bust through three to seven pages at a time. But I'm not sure that would do, do us any good because the question itself is sort of the, the problem. He has continued very gradually and very stably to insist over and over again that once you let go of Holy Scripture, you're going to lose everything altogether. And he's trying to show that by that. I mean, it's not about just losing, say, Jonah and the fish, although you're going to lose that too. But it ultimately becomes about losing Christ himself. He then, as he leads off last week, where we left off last week at the, at the bottom of the first paragraph on page 38, he says, it is therefore the sacred duty, therefore being because you're going to lose Christ himself if you start losing scripture, it is therefore the sacred duty of the theological professors of our age to warn students most earnestly against all modern theologians who refuse to recognize Holy Scripture as God's infallible word. And we said last week as well then that, well, this isn't really just the duty of all college professors that teach Christianity. It is the duty of all Christians, of all pastors, to be aware of this reality. Because in short, here's where we're picking up now, fellas. If we would hold the absoluteness of the Christian religion, we must hold to both the doctrine of Christ's vicarious satisfaction and the doctrine that Scripture is the Word of God. Two things that maybe a lot of people don't think go hand in hand. Two things that maybe a lot of Christians today in American Christianity really don't think are that important at all. So I want to start with you, Pastor Winterstein. Why is, why is it important, if you consider yourself a Christian, to hold to, say, the vicarious atonement of Christ or the infallibility of Holy Scripture? Well, first of all, if there's a something left for you to do you as we've sort of sort of almost a cliche among lutherans that you don't know if you've come to the point where you've done enough to be pleasing to god and uh and so vicarious uh in your place um that uh that christ has done everything that's the purest good news and the greatest gospel and uh and in order to know that and to have that assurance uh, we trust that where we hear about that, uh, namely from the scriptures, that that is a true—that's uh, the true word about what Jesus has done for us, so that we can trust both, so that we can trust what Christ has done for us. And uh, I mean, it's—it's it's fairly obvious in our culture today that the uh, 
that that is not the default position, even uh, among many Christian churches. Uh, and so we judge, uh, generally speaking, we judge whether the scriptures are true in a given place or whether they apply to us in a given place. Uh, then eventually what you're left with is not anything of God's word, but only of our own word. Now, Pastor Preuss, a lot of people would say in response to Pastor Winterstein, you know, well, the Bible, it's fine and all, but it's all a matter of interpretation. Uh, yeah, well, you know, this is, uh, when when they say that, they're really trying to make um, your own interpretation the authority rather than the Word of God. Um, and what they're really attacking, and I, I found this really to be the case, that, uh, you know, we talk about the authority of Scripture and the clarity of Scripture, and they really go hand in hand. And I think that the, the, the most common way for people to attack the authority of Scripture is, is by attacking the clarity of Scripture. And this goes back to, uh, to Luther's argument with Erasmus, where Erasmus, his big problem is, with Luther is that he's talking about this thing called free will, and Erasmus is saying, well, you know, the Scriptures aren't really clear on this, and he compares it to this cave he compares the scriptures to a cave where the farther you go in, the darker it gets. Well, that that attitude toward the scriptures lends itself then to this idea that scripture alone cannot be the authority, but there must be some other magisterium or interpretive community or whatever that is added to it to really bring out the clarity and thereby the authority. If it, it, it take it take take the analogy, for example, of a father. If a father uh, who has the authority in the house? If you can't understand any of the things he's saying, and he requ- and, and and he requires someone else to come in and then tell you what he's saying, well, then you have lost really that pure authority. So when people come and say, "Well, well, you know, your interpretation is 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 just as valid as mine," in effect, what they've done is they've said, "Well, we don't really need the scriptures; we just need." We just we we just need uh, uh, interpretations, and really, they've already said that interpretations are no better than the other. So, really, you're left with doing what they did during the time of the judges. You do what's right in your own eyes. So, and you can make it sound really pious too, but that's really what they're doing. Well, I think they do make it sound very pious, uh, Pastor Winterstein. I've often heard it kind of painted as if to say that you have the clarity of Scripture, that you can understand what God's Word says, is effectively your own pride. You're, you're being arrogant to say that. And if you were humble the way that Jesus wanted you to be humble, you would know that none of us can really know what God actually thinks, so we just kind of have to be good people and feel our way toward Him. Yeah, and, and you find it. There is a, I mean, there's a, a tremendous amount of confusion uh, that has been fostered by um, people hearing all sorts of interpretations about various things and mostly you know but I, but I sometimes wonder if if when people say it's it's well it's all you know reading the scriptures is all interpretation whether and how much they take the time to actually read the scriptures because you know Jesus says my sheep know my voice and how do you get to know the voice of a shepherd uh, if you don't continually, hear his voice. That's how the sheep learn the voice of the shepherd, is they hear it over and over. And if we're hearing a bunch of different voices all the time, of course it's going to be confusing, because we're going to we're going to hear uh, all sorts of different voices and not be sure 
where the shepherd's voice is because we're listening to all these other voices. And I, so, but there's a tremendous amount of confusion uh, listening to all of those those uh, voices, and so it, it's almost it's almost a laziness to say, well, it's all interpretation. Um, a laziness of of trying to hear and discern that uh, that word that we've been given, and and really to say an interpretation and to be sure about it, uh, we shouldn't be sure about uh, ourselves. We should always doubt ourselves, and I think that that's probably what some of those people are getting at is is we are uh, limited and fallible. Therefore, we should doubt ourselves. That that's true, but but when we have a, a word from God. Uh, which again goes back to whether someone believes that the scriptures are the word of God or not. When we have the word from God, though, we should never doubt that, and that's the whole point of the revelation of God, is so that we don't doubt Him and where He's promised to be found in His Son Christ. Uh, when it, when we lose that, then everything is sort of well, uh, what matters or what what is there that we can be sure of? Because eh, who knows? These people say that. These people say this. It's all equal. It's all the same. And and, uh, then that confusion just spreads and and fosters more confusion. What it seems happens to me is that you have an awareness that we that is possible for we fallen, broken humans, whatever, even evolved, if they want to make that argument. It's possible for us to miscommunicate. It's possible for me to say something that you don't understand. And, and I didn't mean it that way, but you take it that way, right? And, and so we don't understand each other. And they take that possibility for miscommunication, and then they, they project that onto God. <laughs> and we assume that our ability to misunderstand is greater than his ability to speak the truth. Or you could say this yeah. in a completely other way, that, that our sin is greater than his righteousness, yeah? And then we, we use that then as a foil to smash him down and lift ourselves up so that we don't actually have to hear either his law or his gospel. Uh, either of you want to respond to that? Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it really goes back to the overall theme of Peeper here where, he, you know, he's, he's going after this ego theology, this I theology, that we base everything on our own experiences. And, you know, he's getting at here, he's getting after here is this idea that, that, that the Christian religion is, is some historical development. Um, and this is exactly what we find uh, in so many different, I mean, really so many errors uh, that, that, go, that go against the scriptures, but specifically with this higher criticism, it, it assumes, this, or the historical critical method, as it's been called, it assumes that scripture is contingent on history. But St. Paul says, quite the opposite, that the fullness of history is determined by what the Scriptures actually reveal, and that's Christ. Um, another thing, though, too, that, that I think that as, as Lutherans we need to be very, even as confessional Lutherans, we, we need to be to guard ourselves against, uh, since we're all breathing in this air of kind of this relative relative air of, of postmodernism that, you know, your experience is, 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 uh, is your experience, and my experience is my experience, we can't really... You know, we're therefore kind of at a standstill. What what a lot of Lutherans try to do then is they say, okay, well, they're they're going to try to locate the authority of the scriptures in the effect uh, that it has on you personally. So, well, I know that the scriptures are true because Jesus has 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 saved me from my sin. Well, but but that kind of misses the point because what is so? How do you know that Jesus saved you from your sins? Well, because he fulfilled the scriptures. So you have to get that. Straight. You have to get the fountain straight um, if, if you are going to preserve the water that's coming out of the fountain. 
um, you know, people are very afraid of, of they'll say, subordinating uh, 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 Christ to the Scriptures. Well, that's precisely what Christ does. You know, he, <laughs> he says that he has come to fulfill the Scriptures, and, and you search the Scriptures, and they bear witness to him. So we need to, we should not shy away from the authority and the clarity of Scriptures that, that, uh, that, and that they actually interpret themselves and that they are fulfilled. Um, and, and we find so you, you really don't need to go any farther than the scriptures to have that certainty that Christ actually did accomplish your salvation because He has fulfilled the scriptures. So I mean, going back to the analogy of of the of the Father having the authority. Well, how do you know He has the authority? Well, because He has begotten you, right? You know, He He's a He has um, a. a he, he, you, you know that you have come from him, and and and, and that he, and that, so you just accept that that he has the authority. You don't know that he has the authority when, in the end, it works out for you. You know, I mean, it is going to work out for you if you acknowledge your father's authority. As, as the commandment says, you will live long in the earth. But you don't know that he has authority because you live long in the earth. You know that he has the authority because he's your dad. And if you listen to him, now obviously this is the law, but it's still it's it's kind of in in it, it has a similar kind of uh, analogy um, uh, to the gospel in that if you actually listen to your father's voice, then it's going to work out for you. So going with the with the with the with the vicarious satisfaction and and, and how it plays out with the with the word of God, the vicarious satisfaction uh, benefits you precisely because it is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Um, and so we don't. So, so we got to get that straight. Um, otherwise, we're going to really make it based on our own experiences and how we have, you know, uh, been encountered with Christ in our own lives and stuff like that. Rather than that, thus set the Lord, and He has made it. He has fulfilled it. This is such a, a fundamental idea that you're you're kind of batting around there. It gets to the level of what the philosophers call epistemology, and I always hated that word because I was like, what on earth does that word mean? It took me it, years to figure out what it meant. Yeah, well, <laughs> if someone finally told me it's from the Greek, that just means to stand there. And so so I always remember it as uh, how I know where I stand, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, how do I understand what I understand? Or how do I know anything at all? How do we know that we know? It's a, it's a weird question in itself, but it's at the bottom of philosophy. The thing is, Nobody really questions that they know what they know. They only question that other people know what they know. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, you live your life every day sort of assuming that where you stand is real. Nobody lives, you know, wondering, well, is the, is the traffic light really red or is it, is it not really red? And we all just say that it's red. No, we, we see the color and we stop at the light. Or to go back to your father analogy, and this maybe people don't like as much these days, but your father is your father. I mean, you can have an adopted father, you can have a mentor, but, but physically speaking, you came from one place. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and you can't get away from that reality at all. And so in the same way, scripture is true. No matter what we would say about it, Jesus is risen from the dead no matter how you might feel about it. His death on the cross, vicariously, that is in your place, atoned for, that is paid for, the sins of the entire world, no matter how you feel about it. And batting around all of this uh, hootenanny philosophy as some sort of uh, special way of avoiding that, well, it really just amounts to what he's going to call it, Peter's going to call it by the end of our talk today, a delusion, a delusion. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back.
You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And it's even more critical when it comes to the history of God's redeeming grace in Christ. That's the conviction of Concordia Historical Institute, the Department of Archives and History of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For almost 90 years, we've been dedicated to collecting, cataloging, and showcasing the historical touchstones of Christ's grace and mercy in the life of the Lutheran Church. Help us in the fight against historical amnesia by becoming a member of CHI today. Benefits of CHI membership include our quarterly journal, newsletter, and discounts when you use CHI's research and reference services. You also receive the joy of knowing you're doing your part in preserving and proclaiming Lutheran history for generations to come. Moving Lutheran history forward together. Check us out at concordiahistoricalinstitute.org. concordiahistoricalinstitute.org. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day, radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. I'm free to be faithful moderator Kip Allen. We're six months into a new administration in Washington, D.C. Does this bode well or ill for people of faith? I speak with Washington, D.C.-based Tim Gigline of Focus on the Family, a longtime Washington observer, about the situation into the new administration. This discussion will take place at 2.30 p.m. Wednesday with a 9.30 a.m. Encore presentation of Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Jonathan Fisk talking with Pastor Andrew Preuss and Pastor Timothy Winterstein about Christian dogma and particularly as always the veracity, the truthfulness of Holy Scripture over and against the many false opinions of the world. Uh, Pastor Preuss, before the break, in one of your comments, you did mention a name, and I, one of the things I always want to try to do here on Cross Defense is uh, tell people about who we're talking about, not just uh, what they taught us. And so you mentioned the name Erasmus, and then there during the break, you also mentioned a name who's going to be really impacting what we talk about next, Hegel. Can you take just about 30 seconds and, and tell us who these guys were and what they mean to history? Yeah, so Erasmus was a, a, a scholar, he was a Roman Catholic scholar um, during the time of the Reformation, and uh, he and he was very instrumental in bringing people back to reading kind of the original sources like the Bible and, uh, and, 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 and other kind of classics. So he, he and Luther got into an argument in the 1520s over the uh, concept of free will, whether we have a free will. Of course, Luther said that we don't have a free will, in spiritual matters. That is, we can't invite Jesus into our hearts. We can't, there's nothing that our will can do to come to God. Um, Erasmus then went after Luther and said, uh, basically gave like the Roman Catholic line that says, well, you know, the, the, we do have a free will and you can't really argue about all this anyway because the scriptures are not clear for you to interpret. And Luther responded by saying, no, the scriptures are clear and therefore I'm going to assert what the scriptures say, hmm. and so, and that that, and you know that that's basically a short summary. Hegel was a philosopher in the 19th century at the University of Berlin, um, very instrumental on guys like Charles Darwin, uh, Karl Marx, um, and, and other guys like that. And even with higher criticism, um, uh, uh, what, what he basically what he said was that God is understood as a kind of 
um, a, a progress through history where the the father is sort of uh, reason is reason and, and and is kind of understood through our thoughts, and then the son is sort of uh, the Jesus is sort of just kind of realizes this unity between God and man, and then the spirit is like how the, the movement of history. And so, the, in other words, to put it simply, what he said about Christianity was that Christianity was a development where you had kind of a thesis, and then you had something that sort of contradicted it, known as an antithesis, and then they would kind of come together and then form a synthesis. And you would say that that's basically how history works. Um, D- Darwin basically applied that principle to biology. Um, that's how you have evolution. And uh, Marx applied it to kind of your, your culture and, and uh, you know, the uh, economy and stuff like that. Um, and so so you can apply that then to... to to the, the the interpretation of the Bible and the Christian religion, and it's, it's basically assuming that the Christian religion is not an absolute religion, as Peter is saying here, that is from the beginning, um, uh, coming from from God, but is rather a historical development, and therefore it's subject to historical investigation. Um, and then we just get into a big mess. Yeah, because for Hegel, I think it, to summarize what you said there, for Hegel. History takes the place of Scripture as the revelation of God's will. Yeah. Therefore, you can never actually have all of God's will because history keeps on going, exactly. and we have to keep learning what new thing God is saying or doing now. And although most people today might not talk about being Hegelian, if your church is saying we got to do a new thing because that's what God's doing, well, they're they're breathing some Hegel right there, whether you like it or not. Now, the next paragraph on page 38, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to be kind of getting into this idea of history as slowly developing or changing, Christianity being part of God's revelation, but there's still more to go. Pieper doesn't like this, and for good reason. He says, we may also call attention to the fact that, according to Scripture, Christianity did not gradually acquire its absolute character, but was, from the very beginning, the absolute religion. The objection, this is that uh, the Hegelian idea, that the Christian religion is a historical phenomenon and, like all history, cannot have absolute but only relative qualities, is not valid. It operates with a petitio principii, and I don't know what that means, so maybe one of you guys can pick that up. It takes for granted that the omnipotent God, he who shapes and rules history, could not or would not intervene in the history of mankind in such a way as to reveal to mankind immediately after the fall that Christ is the Savior from sin and death. So it sounds like, uh, Pastor Winterstein, that Dr. Pieper there is saying that not only does he believe in, in a creation in which there was no death before Adam, but that he believes in a God who, after such a fall as Adam, has the power and the will to engage Adam in history and make clear, declared promises about what's going to take place. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're sort of Hegel tr- trickles down to to us, uh, sort of on a you know a, a basic level, is this idea that uh, that there's sort of this development in history, but the pro the difficulty is, as with all progress or development, we know what the end is, and whereas scriptures Christianity takes it for granted that the end is the fulfillment of all things through Christ and the restoration of His creation and our our resurrection. Um, the, 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 there's not, not a sort of end point for, for most people. Where is everything going? I don't know. It's higher and higher or something, something, uh, 
similarly indistinct, um, whereas Christianity takes it for granted that there is an end, and it's been revealed, and therefore what we're what God is is how God is bringing all things to their fulfillment or conclusion in Christ, that that determines it from the very beginning. And and so, but if you say that Christianity sort of develops, or if you say that it's one of all of the religions that sort of have a historical development and we're going higher and higher, you know, you are judging which is, what is the end to which it's going. What does it mean to actually move to a higher point? Well, you know, we just, you know, in, in ourselves, like you're saying with the interpretation, it's about me, you know, it's my thing, uh, my opinion determines that. Well, the same thing would sort, be sort of active, and that would, according to the culture and according to the people at a given time, what is what does it mean to develop, or what does it mean to move higher uh, if the end is indistinct or, or undefined? And... Uh, they're saying there is a there is an end, uh, and it starts from the very beginning, and it's all leading to Christ. But if you don't have that, then there then you're sort of just opens it up, and whatever you think the end uh, would be, or whatever you think progress means, then that's where religion is going. I think it's interesting that the idea of progress is kind of a key word there for Hegel. He lived in a time, 19th century, when you could look at the history of, say, Europe and America and say, oh, things are moving in a direction. They're getting better and better. We live in a time now where post-World War One, World War Two, and, and then some, you know, that, that's been questioned quite a bit more. And so you do have a little bit of a battle. You can even see this in American politics versus American spirituality. American politics is still holding to the, the progress idea, to the manifest destiny idea. But American spirituality is moving f- away from this straight line of history and more into an Eastern thinking kind of circular thing where it's all just uh, rotating around and where we are is where we've been before. I don't know. Do you got any thoughts about that, Pastor Preuss? Well, I mean, there, there are different uh, different spirits that we find in the in the in spirituality in, in American spirituality. Um, I mean, there is one thing that I've noticed, and maybe this is not what you had in mind, but with the so-called ecumenical movement, uh, which is this this movement that really started probably the late 19th century. Um, where, where different denominations of Christianity get together and talk about their differences, and sometimes it can be fruitful. Um, you know, for example, it's good to determine that we can accept the baptisms of this or that denomination, um, especially when people come from that denomination and, and all that kind of stuff. But it also, uh, overall, a lot of it has been destructive in that what, what they do is they just kind of look over the differences and say, oh, they don't really matter, um, as long as we have these kind of bare, we, we understand kind of the bare truth that God loves us and stuff like that. Well, one of the things uh, that I've noticed about this movement is what they lack more than anything is a sense of God's judgment, that God is the one who is coming to judge and that there is an end and that, uh, and that the end of all things is near and that our confession as the... Uh, the, the, you know, the signers of the Book of Concord said that this is our confession that we hold uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. And so they have this very real awareness of this, uh, of this judgment that's coming. But today, you don't see that. It's more, 
of, uh, uh, and I, I think you're right, that there's this kind of circular thing where if we look back on history, it's really just a way to say, okay, well, how have we developed and what new place are we in now? And are we going to go through another phase of this or that? And where is the where is the urgency of, you know, confessing the truth, making sure that we hold to the truth that's been revealed, because the bridegroom is coming, you know? And uh, so the... It, it, it takes away from the pastor is is, 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 is is there's less of an emphasis on the pastor being a watchman, you know, who cries out, you know, come the bridegroom is coming, repent and believe the gospel, and more into just kind of this uh, uh, this this counselor who's going to sort of help you sort of cope with your your situation that you're in, um, and de- de- you know, based on what? Well, based on kind of your context. And, uh, and it, it, it becomes a lot less, uh, it, uh, the fear of God is not really in the equation. Well, nobody, so. nobody goes to church to be judged, even though that's, yeah. that's technically really why we should be going to church. We want the judgment of innocent, preferably for the sake of what, what Christ has done and his own merit. But, but what, what you're getting at there, too, about the ecumenical movement and the, the removal of any kind of wrath of God, any kind of judgment of God, gets back to what people was saying before. If God can't act in history, how can he act at the end of history either? He, he, if, he, uh-huh. if he can't engage with us as creators, but can only kind of spiritually waft history in a certain direction, then of course there's not going to be a moment where he sits you down before a throne and judges every thought, word, and deed that you had. And yet Peeper says, he goes on, the fact is that God did intervene in just that way, that is, speaking to Adam about what Christ would come to do. As Scripture states clearly and emphatically, that's in Genesis chapter 3, phenomenal chapter of Scripture, In the promise given immediately after the fall, Peter references it, God declared that the seed of the woman should crush the head of the serpent, that is, destroy the works of the devil, deliver men from sin and death. God announced to the human race that it could be saved in no other way than through the work of the Savior. And the entire scripture of the Old Testament proclaims this absoluteness and exclusiveness of the Christian religion. Pastor Winterson, again, his point there, obviously the gospel, but really... That even from the moment that Christianity is spoken first by God in Genesis chapter 3, it's speaking in absolute terms. Yeah, and I think that's really, speaking of the clarity of Scripture, as we were, that the only way that you see that is if Christ is the light uh, that illuminates all things. Because if he's not, if you view it in sort of a uh, development way, and I think I think Pastor Price's point earlier about the... Um, the difference between uh, the story, the Christian story, being contingent upon history, somehow dependent and uh, subject to the sort of, you know, whichever way history might go, which is sort of a strange, I mean, that's sort of a leftover uh, view of a, of a different time period. I, I mean, it's really hard to speak that way. Or even when people say, well, we're going back, we're regressing to some previous generation with this policy or that that law or whatever, even to speak that way, you have to have some idea of where you think things should go, not just a vague sort of progress. But, but the, the point is, if you to be able to see that in Genesis 3, that promise of Christ, you have to understand the entire thing being within God's will of what he is going to do. If you don't, 
if you view it as a, a sort of development uh, developmental idea, it's going to be obscure, as Erasmus thought a lot of things were. It's going to be obscure because you you can't see what is the namely Christ to illuminate the entire thing. I think the word that gets thrown around a lot today that, that this gets buried under is the word context. And, and this is a tough one because context is good. I mean, when you're reading the scriptures, you pick yeah. a verse up, you really want to see what's on either side of the verse. The context helps you understand the verse. But today, that's that's not really the way that word's being used. It's it's not letting scripture's context interpret scripture, or or even necessarily the, the context of history's movements let us know, you know, as historic as uh uh, Concordia Historical Institute's found of saying, you know, to know where you're going, it helps to know where you've been. But really, we have this non-directional context, as if we're in this constantly evolving but never going anywhere circle of randomness, and we have to always be changing what we believe uh, to, to fit with that. So either we're progressing towards some sort of utopian dream, uh, which leaves Christianity behind, or we're in a circle of unknown waves pushing us in every different direction. Yeah, and that's, uh, like you said, context isn't bad, just like order isn't bad. Order is good, and context, I think, is part of order, that this is uh, this is how the Word of God works in situations. You know, where where did the, the angels, when they proclaimed the, the birth of Christ, they came to the shepherds in that specific situation of them, of them watching uh, over their sheep, and, uh, and, and, and Christ, you have all these you with all these examples in the New Testament of Christ meeting people in their various situations and context. That's not a bad thing, but the the the, we, the, the problem with how the, the term context is used is that it is not grounded in the Word of God. It's it's uh you know you 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 don't you make it if you don't make it subordinate to the Word of God. Um, then the context is what's running the show. Um, so, you know, if people often use this with, and I know this is a big hobby horse for a lot of us, we've talked about it on your show before, but with, with worship, you know, people always say, oh, well, context this, context that. And really it seems to just kind of be sort of a buzzword and a pretense for we're going to do whatever we think is the best way to do it, and we're not going to look at what our fathers have done and ask why did they do it this way. Well, because it was according to the Word of God, and it clearly taught the, 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 the Word of God um, and, and the Gospel. But instead, we're going to just kind of use our imagination. And so, uh, I wanna, again... Can I jump in right there? I, yeah, I remember watching a video put on by a, a church. Well, it's not a Missouri Synod church. They're, I think they were Episcopalian. They're out in the New York area somewhere. When they did a, a Dr. Seuss mass, more or yeah. less, and, yeah. and they had the whole—everyone was dressed up to fit like different parts of Dr. Seuss. And during the consecration of the elements, they had two—these kids, the two boys had to be about age 10, age 12, somewhere in there, dressed up as thing one and thing two— while the cat in the hat, the pastor, was was consecrating the elements for the Lord's Supper. And I remember uh, see, watching that video and watching the face of the kid who was Thing 2, I think it was, and how <laughs> bored and annoyed he was to have to be there with this blue hair. He did not want to be there in any way. And this was all in the name of 
reaching out to precisely the young people. It was all done in the name of context. Now, the point is not that we should never think about our context. I think that's it's not a bad idea. But to think that we've actually got our finger on it, to assume that we know it that well, it is a bit if I can say arrogant, uh, particularly when it keeps changing as fast as American culture keeps changing. How do you know what the young people are saying? Just because you're age 25 doesn't mean you know what the 12-year-olds are doing. And just because the 12-year-olds are doing it, does that make it good? These are questions that seem to get lost when we just say, well, times have changed. We better change or die. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. One more break. We'll be right back. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. You know me as the voice of His Times Daily Lectionary Study. And I'm pretty excited because starting Monday, the 24th of July, every weekday at 8 a.m. Central, absolutely nothing is changing at all except for the music and the name. Welcome to Sharper Iron. Test your mettle on what does this mean and learn to spar with the best of them weekday mornings on KFUO. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, and listen to just about anything. Some websites are good and some are bad. Some sites are truthful, but others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you where you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 starring Chris Pratt released in May 2017 was a number one hit at the box office. A January 2017 Vanity Fair article said of Chris Pratt he's on a short list of actors who can do pretty much whatever they want. Chris credits his brother Cully as the key figure in his life. In a February 2017 interview Chris told Fox News he'd asked Cully an army veteran to make him a wooden tray for his keys, noting it's something Cully's good at doing with his hands. Chris suggested the tray include Chris's favorite Bible verse, a touchstone he could take with him as he traveled for work. On the tray is a picture of Jesus, etched in it the verse from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. You got another 18 minutes across the fence heading your way, breaking down false notions with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. Pastor Timothy Winterstein and Pastor Andrew Preuss digging into, well, Hegelian philosophy and the counterpunch of Scripture's absolute infallibility. We were talking before the break a little bit about context versus clarity, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that what you were saying, um, you know, just to summarize what you're saying, that the way that the way that people today often operate is that scripture is unclear to an extent, and uh, and and people might have different, you know, understandings of how unclear it is. But scripture is basically unclear, and context then is clear, and so we need context to illuminate the scriptures. But what, what we teach, what the Scriptures teach, is precisely the opposite. Context is, to some extent, depending on the context, unclear. And it needs to be illumined, 
um, it needs to be clarified by the Word of God, and that's how we operate. And if you operate in that way, you're, I think you're going to come to some much more uh, orthodox and, uh, and uh, uh, certain results. So, Pastor Winterstein, when uh, Peeper reminds us of a number of passages of Scripture and says, Peter plainly states in Acts 10 that to him, Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And Christ himself says that the entire scriptures of the Old Testament testify of him as the giver of eternal life, John 5. And he states particularly that Abraham, the father of the believers, believed in him in John 8. Well, Dr. Pieper is pointing us to a solidarity that transcends all contexts. It's never going to change, correct? Yeah, and I think that, uh, again, what Pastor Preuss mentioned about sort of us reversing things where where my experience, my context, my, uh, my story, what I have come to discover, that's clear to me and uh, everything else is unclear and, and to, unless I enlighten it. The same thing has sort of happened with the story, uh, I mean, in a, that in a true sense, the story, the narrative of God's salvation. Um, we, have, we have done this with the scriptures as well. We've, we've taken the, whereas I think, you know, Luther and prior, I think probably almost all Christians prior to sort of the Enlightenment even, uh, took the scriptures as the story of God's salvation, which was overarching everything overarching it was the story of history and and then how how do i fit into that either i fit into that by doing enough things that i make myself part of the story or or they wouldn't have spoken that way necessarily but uh how do i get how am i part of this story whereas now we've taken the scriptures and we say how does this fit into my life which is has become the overarching story my experience what I know from who I am, my however many years on this planet, that's the story. And if I can make the scriptures fit into that, good, maybe they're helpful in some way. If I can't, then I discard them. And as you're saying, it's, it's exactly the opposite. I don't need to make them relevant to me. God, by his Holy Spirit, by faith in Christ, is making me uh, relevant to the story that God is telling. So what, what finally is that story, or what is the overarching narrative? Is it me, or is it what God is doing? And that, I think, makes all the difference as far as what is clear and what is not. That's very well said. I believe it was Dr. Veltz uh, at the seminary we both went to who, who called that the reversal of fit, uh, that before a certain point, Everybody just believed God's worldview, the way God described the world to be, was the way that it is. And now we all have this luxury, call it that if you want, to try to fit God into our lives. And so much of what you see under the banner of contextualization today is just that, the Christian church off its moorings, trying to fit God into the life of the world, as if we can convince the world who is an enemy of God to be his friend. Pastor Preuss? Yeah, yeah, and that's... uh you know this this plays this plays out in pastoral practice as well. Um, you know when when a and, and not just with pastors but with any any Christians talking to each other. You know what does the eighth commandment tell us to do is to put the best construction on our on one another's words and actions. And and what 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 you often come across is when you know you say something as a pastor 
And then someone says, well, I heard this. Now, obviously, the pastor wants to self-reflect and see, was I clear and all that stuff. But I think that today we are, we are really, especially in our postmodern age, we're dealing with this a lot, where you say something and someone says, well, I hear you saying this. It's like, okay, well, uh, uh, and, then, and, then, you know, and then therefore they can just kind of judge, uh, uh, judge everything you said based on their own perception of it. Um, instead of continually in the dialogue to understand the clarity of what your intended meaning actually was. And people do the same thing with the Word of God. So, you know, the, the, when we read the Word of God, we are, and I've said this before on your show, we are to approach the Word of God not as the judge of what the Scriptures mean, but rather as the one who's being judged by the Scriptures. We approach the Scriptures with repentance, because God's right and we're wrong. And that's what, that should be our first principle. <laughs> Nowhere is it seen more clearly uh, right now, I think, this idea that uh, they're going to import into your words a story that isn't necessarily yours and and a rejection than in some of the the marriage or the anti-marriage, the homosexual lobby that's out there where no matter what you say, you're going to be painted as the the hater, as the hateful Mm -hmm. person. And But there's nothing for us Christians to do when the world doesn't like what God's Word says, even if they want to tell lies about His Word to make it sound worse than it really is, because it's not really bad news at all for any of us. Uh, you know, so far, this, you know, the Christ has paid for us all. But all we can do is continue to stand upon the bedrock while the rest of the world tries to build castles on sand. And just to kind of finish up here from our section from Dr. Peeper, page 39 at the top there, it says, In short, according to Scripture, the Christian religion is not, like the other religions, the result of a natural historical development, which means it's not made of sand. It is not one of many kindred religions, not a religion absorbing and supplementing other religions, but it was from the very beginning the absolute religion. Absolute and exclusive in the strict sense of the term, presenting the woman's seed as the sole deliverer from sin and death, the one savior of man, all mankind, thus declaring all other religions of whatever name or form, to be delusions and to have no right to exist. And see, I can see right now someone out there harping, or not harping, but just like latching on to, oh, he said it was a delusion? Hinduism's a delusion? Has no right to exist? That's hate speech. That's not what he said. That's not the direction he's going. He's pointing out that we're all saved in Jesus, and this is good news. Pastor Winterstein? Yeah, you, you, and I mean, this is our, this is our, our sinful flesh's tendency is is never to say amen or thank you for what the gift is where God reveals himself as our savior which as you say should be good news to us instead we say well I'm not satisfied with that I would prefer this and it happens in all sorts of it happens with the the scriptures and people say things like don't put God into a box well he's put himself into the box of the flesh of Jesus and he wants to be found there, so we don't have to go looking ourselves for wherever he, we think he might be. Where is he? Can he help me? I don't know. Uh, instead, he says, here, look, I'm right here. I'm here. This is Christ, crucified and resurrected. Here I am in my word. Here I am in my uh, baptism and my absolution and my supper. Uh, instead, we're like, well, you know, that's okay, but I really feel more comfortable if he was, if I can find him somewhere else. Same thing happens with the re- the religion as a whole. Um, well, this I really like kind of how this religion says this. 
and uh, it, it makes me uncomfortable, and I, I'm offended when you say that uh, it's a delusion and has no right to exist. Well, that's in the service of the fact that God has revealed himself to be your Savior in this particular way, and to f- try and find a Savior, or to try and find life, or to try and find God outside of that revelation is to find only darkness and delusion, not because God somehow has a vendetta uh, against something, but because it's simply the way it is. And uh, you, it's not like, well, I'm going to, you got to live up to this rule, and if you don't, I'm going to zap you. It is, this is the way it is. Why would you try to find something else when God has given you uh, his the revelation of salvation and life in Jesus, um, but that's what we try to do all the time. It's simply the way it is. It's only mean to call somebody delusional if they're not delusional. But if I'm actually delusional, like let's say I'm not diabetic, let's say I'm diabetic, and I go on a, a sugar high and end up out in the in the road screaming at people and and waving around violently. If you're my friend. Right before the cops get there, you're gonna you're gonna tell me I'm delusional and talk me down and get me out somewhere where I can be safe. So it's not that it's it, the idea that it's it's mean to point out truth if it's gonna help us. I mean, it's just insane. We live in a time where we're so offended that we can't even help each other anymore. Pastor Preuss? Yeah, we operate uh, too much with the uh, the idea of. of- what the results are going to be that we can see. And, and so we become very strategic. And so we don't want to speak. We we're, we find ourselves then walking on eggshells because we don't want to speak the truth and let the truth simply stand um, because it's going to offend other people. And so you say things like, well, they have no right to exist. This is against what uh, the, the philosophy of the United States. Um, you know that, that you know the first the First Amendment, which is not actually describing a natural right, but it's just a, a positive law for the sake of you know a pragmatic kind of living with other people of different beliefs. You know, but it doesn't actually describe what is ingrained in nature. Nature says that there's one truth, and uh, and so when we say this, we we simply have to have to as Christians, we got to understand that this is not. Uh, we're, we're not being Americans when we say this. We can still be Americans and, and respect authority and live peaceably with all people. We gotta, we gotta understand that when we speak the truth, it is exclusive. It's going to exclude other false truths, and people are going to be upset, and we, we have to be prepared for that. Well, then a sinner has got to be upset. I mean, he's he's going to be killed. I'm upset yeah. when when the law kills me, but I'm also because of the the gospel. I'm, I'm excited by it too. It's this weird reality that we live in, but that's never going to happen. The saint sinner complex is never going to happen if we don't speak at all. With well, just about a minute left for each of you, Pastor Winterstein, closing thoughts on the afternoon. Well, I think I mean this is kind of a it's a significant point about whether you view uh, Christianity as the extension and sort of development of a general theory of religion, or if you view it as uh, the only gospel religion and everything else is the law as Peeper is going, it's, it, it really makes all the difference. Pastor Price? Yeah, and uh, this the, to, to summarize basically what we've been talking about, um, history is dependent upon Christ, and it's not the other way around, and, and this is great news for us because when we see the course of not only in our own personal experiences, but in the course of history, we do see that it moves. You know, Hegel wasn't a dummy. He observed things. Um, uh, but 
it's a great comfort to us to know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and our faith is grounded on a sure foundation. That's Pastor Andrew Preuss. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Also talking today, Pastor Timothy Winterstein. He's pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in East Wenatchee, Washington. Guests on this afternoon's Cross Defense with myself, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us today. Thanks. Thank you for having us. The reversal of fit and the Hegelian insanity of contextualization. Now, if you've been listening for an hour, you actually know what I'm talking about. And it's some it's some crazy stuff, right? The, the idea that the history is just either a big circle, or it kind of is a big circle randomly moving us toward a, a greater, better end. That's so unreal as an experience that now you got people saying life's a journey, not a destination, as if that's some sort of good news. And that this is supposed to somehow undo Christianity. Or make Christianity have nothing to say because Christianity is offensive and says you're wandering in a circle in the desert. But hey, there's a land flowing with milk and honey over there, and there's this dude who's going to take us there. Oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, better than that, he already has. He's taken us there by means of himself. There were in one man, all mankind died immediately after that. The God who had made that man promised that he was going to open up his own veins and put all mankind back into himself in a new man, open up his own side and make a new bride, a bride cleaned of all of the problems that have been brought about by our rebellion, including our, our complete capability of miscommunicating our way into a dark and dreary valley of death. He's going to put all of that into himself and bury it there so that himself coming out alive on the other side is the new land, the foretaste of the feast to come, the man who is risen from the dead. You know what I'm talking about, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is not, how does Jesus fit into your life? The question is, how has Jesus put you into his life? And the answer to that question is, he's bought you, first and foremost. He's preached to you, just like he's doing right now, who he is, what he's done for you. He's baptized you into his death and resurrection. If he hasn't done that, talk to a nearby Lutheran pastor about it. We'll get it done. And he keeps feeding you with the hope of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. All done by his cross, all defending you from sin, death, and the devil. You're listening to Cross Defense, your classic station here on Worldwide Care for you, where old school theologians never stop rocking on. <laughs> 